You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. Well, good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? Anybody else excited to be in church? Anybody else excited to be in church? I saw many of your faces for the first time. Some of you, that whether it's been summer breaks or just kind of waiting and kind of seeing what's going to happen with all of this COVID stuff, and some of you here for the very first time, and if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you, man, welcome. We're incredibly grateful to have you with us, especially those of you that are still watching online or maybe tuning in online for the first time today. Uh, We know that some of you, whether you're staying home for health reasons or age reasons, you're in that kind of high-risk category, but some of you, hey, I'm just going to push on you a little bit this morning. Some of you, you just kind of use this as an excuse to not actually come and gather with us. So stop. If that's you, stop using it as an excuse. Come. This is a big part of what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to build my church. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means a part of the ekklesia is the gathering of believers. I'm already preaching this morning. I wasn't even planning on saying this stuff, but I hope that you will come and you'll come and join us because this is this was God's design. He had one plan after Jesus walked out of that grave, and that was his church, and he had one plan, and that was us. For part, part, Again, part of it was for us to gather together, and then as we leave those doors to go, be a trace of God's love everywhere we go. And so my hope is that we take that mission seriously. But hey, I want to pause really quick. I know if you got my email yesterday, uh, I had mentioned something about the masks, and man, I'll just kind of start with this. Uh, isn't it insane what's become normal now that would have been weird six months ago? Just think about it. Like, don't get within six feet of someone else. Don't shake someone else's hands. And then we get businesses closing down, and we have schools that aren't allowing the kids to come back and meet in person. And then, of course, there's the infamous mask. Uh, <laughs> you know, before all COVID happened, I think we would have, you know, had this kind of shared experience where we would have left home and it's like, oh shoot, I forgot my phone, or oh shoot, I forgot my wallet. Now it's, oh shoot, I forgot my. Mask. How many of you guys have been halfway to your destination and realized I'm not going to be able to go in because I didn't bring my mask? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, excuse me. I wanted to let you know uh, that we're um, really grateful that you've been working with us and been flexible uh, in this with us. We know there's a lot of opinions on this subject, uh, but at the end of the day, like if we can potentially keep somebody safe by exercising, uh, just wearing a mask, my hope is that we'll continue to do that. But the the one adjustment we've made moving forward is just, just like you would if you went to a restaurant. When you come here, we're going to ask that you continue to wear your mask coming in. Then once you find your seat, uh, feel free to take them off. Or if you feel more comfortable leaving them on, you can leave them on. That's completely up to you. Um, but just know that's kind of how we're going to be moving forward. And so our hope is that you'll continue just to work with us, be flexible with us, be gracious with us as we kind of figure out how to do church within this pandemic. Well, last week we kicked off this new series called Instability. And if you we're here, you know, it was kind of a play on the word instability, right? And one of the things that we said was, you know, none of us really set out to find instability in our lives, but it has a way of finding us. And we don't like instability, right? We don't want to live with instability. Instead, we want to be in stability. Like it's, for, it's our hope and usually the aim of our lives where we actually want to live in stability, And so I ask the question, hey, when life shakes you, when the ground underneath your feet doesn't feel as secure, when life didn't turn out like you expected it would, or maybe like you hoped it would, what do you lean on? What do you lean on? Because I think right now all of us would agree that we have been dealt a hand of of great amounts of uncertainty, and so 
we, de- we determine where it's like, man, there's probably something that we could do to lean in the direction of building more stability for our lives. And so we began this conversation and we asked the question, how can we find stability for our lives in the midst of so much uncertainty? And we determined. We determined that wisdom, more specifically living in wisdom, might be one of the greatest stabilizing forces of our life. And how instead of just inviting Jesus to live here, right, when we all had that conversion moment, when we all had that that pivotal moment in our lives where we said, Jesus, my life is yours. I'm inviting you to come in to take residence. And there's an aspect of it. We even communicate this with our kids where it's like, you know, let Jesus live in your heart. And that's a big deal, right? Out of the heart comes what we say and how we feel and oftentimes how we interact and move and transition uh, in relationships. Not transition, that's not the right word, but how we live within relationships. But sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, we allow and we invite Jesus to live here, but we don't always invite him to live here. We don't always invite him into our thoughts, into our decision-making process and whether we're led more by emotions or by uh, by what he wants you to do or she wants you to do or what they want you to do, we need to be more proactive in inviting God into our thoughts. God, what do you want me to do? And we determined that it would be wise for us to never make another big decision without first asking the question, what is the wise thing to do? Because when we do that, I believe it takes us a layer or two deeper into our thought processing, inviting God to help navigate our thoughts and refine our thoughts. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, that when we do that, when we allow our thinking and our thoughts to change, that we're actually inviting transformation into our lives. And in the midst of a lot of uncertainty, we can at least start to see some clarity in what it is that God wants us to do next. Because God's will or let me say that differently, living in wisdom will always illuminate God's will. Now, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to be in this series called Instability. And what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to look at these four areas of our life, our faith, our family, our friendships, and our finances. And the reason why I chose these four particular areas of our life is because with a lot of observations over the years being in ministry, With a lot of observations and even interactions with people, I have noticed that oftentimes there are great successes and there are great failures when it comes to these four areas of our life. I've gone as far as to say this is where people live or die. These four particular areas of our life. And so if one of these four areas, for whatever reason, maybe maybe it's your fault or maybe it's no fault of your own, but when one of these four areas takes a hit it creates a disproportionate amount of instability in our lives. And I see heads nodding because I think you get it. And when I say instability, just to kind of get us on the same page, when I use the word instability, here's what I'm thinking of. It's uncertainty caused by the possibility of a sudden change in our present situation. Anybody else feel this right now? Yeah, enter COVID-19. I think we've all experienced our fair share of sudden change to our current situation, which is why so many of us really wish that this pill existed, right? Just take Yerquil, right? In 2020, we just sleep through the rest of 2020. Like there's a part of us like, I really wish that exists. (laughs) Can I be transparent for a second? 
when all of this kind of happened, you know, six months ago, whenever it was, um, I, I, I did my best. I did my best to lead us and to lead my team and to lead us with focus and intentionality and really prayed and thought through, like, God, what is it you want us to do? How do we do this? I mean, this, these were unprecedented times, and every lead pastor I talked to, it's like all of us were under the same amount of pressure, and I did my best, and I'll be honest with you, when it all started, like, I was up for the challenge. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I don't know if any, any Enneagram fans in here, but I'm an eight on the Enneagram, so I'm like, let's do this. You know, I'm up for the challenge. I'm ready to take this on, but with time, it became a little bit more and more discouraging, and I really don't even want to admit this to you, but even to the point where I started to feel a little bit depressed. I'd be talking with my wife in the evening. We usually sit on our front porch in the evenings, and I'm like, man, I just I don't feel motivated. And as a driven leader, I hate feeling like I don't even, like I feel weak admitting that to you. And the only reason I admit that to you today, and, by, and let me share, share this, by the grace of God, I feel like I'm finally kind of coming out of that. But the only reason I admit that to you today is not for pity whatsoever. It's just to remind you that you're not alone. And, and maybe by me sharing that, being on a platform like this, maybe that will give you permission to share it if you need to. And one of the things we've said around here for a long time is that this is a place where you can stop pretending. And that includes me. The last thing I want to do is get up here and act like I'm doing better than I, than I am. Many of you have been very gracious and you have encouraged me and um, complimented me on how we've led through this. And I could not have done this without my team. Uh, they have been incredible, but I don't want to get up here and act like it hasn't affected me or I'm some superhero. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you I'm not. But I want to give you permission if you need it. And one of the things that I feel like God keeps reminding me of and keeps bringing me back to is, Aaron, right now, you need to be incredibly intentional and diligent with how you spend your time what you allow yourself to think about, like what's consuming your thoughts and how you spend your energy because people are depending on you. And I want to use that very statement and look at you and say, and they're depending on you too. Somebody is. I don't know if it's a kid, I don't know if it's a spouse, a friend, a coworker, but I promise you there's somebody depending on you. And I feel like God keeps bringing me back to the same passage and I'm going to read it to you here in just a moment, and it's a passage I preached on here recently, and again, uh, just a moment of confession. I just preached on this a few weeks ago, and one of the things I don't want to do is like just a few weeks later preach on the same passage. I just don't want to do that. It's not within my style or rhythm, but God keeps bringing me back to this, and so I don't want to get in the habit of arguing with the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to preach on the same passage that I did a few weeks ago. Maybe God's saying, Aaron, they're not doing it yet. You might as well preach on it again. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's up to you guys. But it's in Matthew chapter 7. It's Jesus when he's concluding the Sermon on the Mount, what many, what scholars would say is Jesus' Jesus's most famous sermon. And so when you end a sermon, you're probably going to end it with something that's pretty important to help people to see and to reflect back on everything else you said. So here's how Jesus ends his most famous sermon, Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, in other words, your life. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation 
on the rock. But, but, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, everybody say does not, does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Can we just stop there for a second? Are you still amazed by the power of God in your life? Are you still amazed by the teachings of Jesus, or has it become so mundane that you just allow it to go through one ear and out the next? Have you been to church for so long and heard so many sermons, maybe on this very passage, that you're already tuning this out instead of being amazed by what God could do in your life today? The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let me pray for us really quick. Father, I didn't want to preach on this passage again, but I feel that in a time where I think it's inevitable that we're heading into a storm, that we're in a storm currently, honestly, but we're heading into a storm that this season could be very difficult. I think it's incredibly important that we, that we are prepared. And I feel like, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you have impressed on me time and time again that one of my key roles right now is helping everyone in this room to feel more prepared, to make sure that the foundation underneath their feet was built on the right thing, more importantly, the right person. And so, Father, I pray that you teach us today, that you guide us, and throughout the information that I'm going to share, if there's something in here that someone needs to hold on to and do something with, that you would convict them to do just that. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you guys have ever played the game Jenga? Anybody? Yeah, this is in the uh, rotation of games at the Pennington household. And I would encourage you that if you don't want a panic attack, like don't play this game. <laughs> uh, because as you're taking these little pieces of wood out and then putting them on top, you know, the structure starts to become more unstable. And, you know, if you're the one that happens to be the person like pulling the piece of wood out and it collapses, of course, you lose the game. Well, today, um, I specifically want to talk to us about two areas that I mentioned in those four areas. Um, I want to talk to us about friendship, and I want to talk to us about family. And of course, this is going to be a little bit bigger than the size of Jenga that you would buy in the store. But what I'd like to do over the next two weeks is actually use this very illustration as a way to describe how important it is that we have an intentional process in these four areas of our life. Again, today I'm going to talk about these two, but that we have an intentional process in these two areas of our life because, again, they have a disproportionate amount of, uh, let me say it differently, when there's stress on one of these areas, it brings a disproportionate amount of instability to our lives. And so if we don't have an intentional process behind these four areas, these two today, I believe that Jesus would call us foolish. And so I want to look at this today, but here's how I'd like to begin. One of the statements that I use in my personal life when I'm feeling like I need to be more grounded, when I'm kind of starting to lose sight of why I'm in ministry and why I'm doing what I'm doing, I come back to one particular statement. It's a really simple. It may not mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me, and it goes like this. It's simply my time to do my work. 
Like when I really just need to fine tune, why am I doing what am I, I'm doing? Like ministry uh, can be tough at times and you start to lose focus of the things you should be focusing on. And why am I doing what I'm doing? And I'm reminded that I just have a little bit of time, right? All of us just have a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity. And I want to leverage whatever little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity that I have for the sake of the kingdom of God. So it's simply when I f- just fine tune it and narrow it in, bring it into focus, it's simply my time to do my work. And at some point, I'm going to hand this off to some young punk who's going to take it and hopefully take trace to places that I never could have. I think of this in the context of my family as well, right? I have three daughters and a son. And specifically, when I think of my three daughters, like right now, I need to put in the work because one day I'm literally going to take their hand and put it in the hand of their future husband like 50 years from now. And then my time will be done, kind of. You get it. So right now, I need to be incredibly intentional because I have work to do. Can I get in your face? Okay. Can I get in your face a little bit this morning? So many people are living with unnecessary amounts of instability in their life simply because they will not put in the work. So whether it's your faith, your family, your friendships, or your finances... I want to encourage you, listen to me, I want to encourage you to put the work in now so that you can live with the dividends of stability for the rest of your life. Can I say it again? I want you to put the work in now so that you can live with the dividends of stability for the rest of your life. You know this, you know this, listen to me, you know this. You will not passively fall into life-giving friendships. You will not passively fall into a life devoted to following Jesus. You will not passively fall into a family who wants to serve each other and loves each other sacrificially and sometimes just likes one another. You will not passively fall into financial peace or being faithful when it comes to your money. No. You're going to have to put in the work. You're going to have to put in the work. Children... Children do what feels good, but as adults, we devise a plan and we follow through with it. So that brings me to our first category, friendship. And I'm going to share a lot of information with you today. And I was joking with a team this morning, you know, a good preacher comes up and he has three points. I think I've got like 25 today. And so um, maybe that shows what kind of preacher I am. But I I want to talk about friendship. And you know, one of the biggest areas that I see people make a mistake when it comes to finding and having life-giving friendships. And it's going to sound obvious. It may even be like, oh, of course you would say that. They don't pray about it. I talk to people all the time who would say, man, I don't have one good friend. I, I feel like I'm isolated. I don't have people around me that I feel like I could depend on. Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed for God to put a life-giving, for at least just one, just one life-giving friendship in your life? Have you prayed about it? Because I honestly believe that our Heavenly Father, like those are the kind of prayers that I think He likes to answer. Pray for the right friends. Let me remind you of what Proverbs 18 says. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I remember, for some of you have been around here for a while, you know my story. I'll hit on it really quick. Made a lot of mistakes at a young age and ended up with my second DUI and I'm in jail. And when I'm in there, I know 
I know that I know that I know. I'm not ever going to allow myself to get back to a place like this again, which means I've got to make some changes. Within those changes are going to have to come who I'm allowing to influence my life, my friends. And it wasn't that I just wanted to, wanted to dismiss all of my friendships or just get rid of them or turn my back on them, but I knew if I hang out with some of these friends, I'm going to be in these environments. And when I'm in these environments, it's not going to take me to where God wants me to be. And so I began praying. And God answered that prayer. And again, I'm not going to go into crazy detail, but when I was 22, I developed one of the most life-giving friendships that I ever have in my life. And I've often referred to it as a pivotal moment, a pivotal moment in my life where I really felt like I was going in a different direction. Have you prayed? Have you prayed for God to give you a life-giving friendship? Second point that I would tell you is to get rid of toxic friends. Now, listen to me. I know this is going to be easy for me to say, but some of you right now, you know who you are, are already thinking of that one friend. Hopefully you're not sitting beside you right now, but you're thinking of that one friend who you know is toxic. You know they are. I don't need to convince you of anything this morning. You know they are. You know they're not bringing any value to your life. And it's going to be easy for me to say this, but you know you need to do it. At some, somehow, some way, you're going to have to have a conversation where you're like, you know what? I'm breaking up with you or whatever that is. I don't know how you break up with a friend, but it's like this friendship is not healthy for me. And I'm going to have to take a break from it. And you may not understand, and that's okay. And listen to me. Just to be crystal clear, when you like take one of these out and you start to do some work on it, this is going to feel a little bit more unstable for a bit. But as you put an intentional process in place and you have a plan, you devise a plan and you follow through with it and you're able to put it back, this is not going to be the actual game of genie. We're not putting it back on top. But you put it back, then it becomes stronger. Some of you need to do your work when it comes to your friendships. Some of you need to have a conversation with a toxic friend. Let me remind you what Proverbs says in verse 16. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. You know, you know that friendship is not healthy for you. And I know it's easy for me to say, but do your work. Do your work. Get rid of toxic friendships. The third point that I would make is this. Put people around you that are pursuing Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Put people around you that are pursuing Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How often does Jesus come up within your friendships? Just come up. How often do you feel like you can speak of the most important thing in your life? I mean, I think you could say that the fact that you're here today, now you could be here today, and you're searching, and you're asking questions, and you're like, well, I don't even know why I came today. And if you're in here with a bunch of doubts, and you're not sure what you believe about all of this, listen to me, you are absolutely 100% welcome here, just as you are. This is a place that you can belong before you ever believe. If you need a place to wrestle with your doubts, you found your home, Okay. But for those of us that came in here today, because we truly have a desire to follow Jesus, like he is the most important thing in our life. We don't hesitate to talk about that. We don't hesitate to say that. Is he coming up in your natural conversations with your friends? Can you say, you know what Jesus has been teaching me here recently? And if you don't feel like you can, maybe you need to put some different people around you that are actually following the same path 
that you are. Now, by no means am I saying you shouldn't have friends that don't believe in Jesus. I think you should. Let me ask you another question. Are they influencing you more than you're influencing them? Do your work when it comes to the friendships of your life. Because if you don't, you will have a disproportionate amount of instability that you'll have to deal with. The last thing that I would tell you is to be an encourager. Like, become the friend that you're looking for is looking for. I love that statement. Think through it. Become the friend that you're looking for is looking for. Be a master encourager. If you see, see your friend do something awesome, don't be one of those jealous friends who feels a little bit of elation every time your friend like screws up so you feel a little bit better about yourself. Like Those of you are laughing. You've done it. Shame on you. Like No, I'm just kidding. I've done it too. Like It happens, right? And we fall in this comparison trap and it's easy to do that. And listen, you'll never find contentment when you're constantly comparing yourself to somebody else. And so one of the ways to combat that in your life is to become a master encourager. Become a master encourager. If you see them do something, if you notice that they've taken a step in their faith or they've overcome a fear or whatever it may be, encourage them. Be the friend that you're looking for is looking for. For those of you that could be students in here or the kids, all the kids in here, stop doing whatever you're doing, sleeping, whatever. Kids, students, this statement is for you, okay? It's impossible. It's impossible to live the right life if you have the wrong friends. If you're a parent, you need to write that down and remind them later. It's impossible. It's impossible to live the right life if you have the wrong friends. Do your work. Let's move on to family. One of the first things that I would tell you when it comes to family and putting an intentional process behind this so that your life feels a little bit more stable is to have a plan. Actually have a plan. If you weren't here this past July when Josiah preached a message on what he calls the core four, I think it's brilliant. I love it. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's in the early. Again, if you ever want to catch up on any of our sermons, go to YouTube uh, and subscribe to our YouTube page. You can go back and watch any of those. But he talked about what's called the core four. It's like, hey, if you're having trouble, if you need some help just devising a plan for your family, maybe this is a good place to start. And these symbols stand for four different things. Eat, pray, encourage, play. Eat, pray, encourage, play. I'm going to go through these fast, but if you've never taken uh, any time, if you're a parent in here, I know not everybody's a parent, but if you're, if you're a parent, you should probably look into the science and the psychology behind all the things that happen when you actually eat together as a family. Uh, all the things that start to be diminished, like uh, criminal behavior within your kids, teenage pregnancy, um, mental illness. There's tons of things, tons of research behind this. By simply sitting down around a table together and eating, I would encourage you to eat together, pray together. Now, again, Emily and I have not done this well recently just because of COVID and the chaos of COVID. But before COVID, we would consistently pray with our kids every single day before they went to school. And we would sit on the stairs in front of the front door and we would pray with them. And yes, we would pray for protection and all those kind of things. But we'd also remind them that you have influence as a first grader. As a third grader, as a fifth grader, you have influence. You can live out our mission now to be a trace of God's love everywhere you go. And we would remind them there are kids coming out of incredible broken homes, incredibly broken homes and broken situations. And you could be 
a change agent in their life today. If you'll just be intentional, you'll be reminded that God wants to be a trace of his love through you. We want our kids to be on mission now. And so we pray with them and we encourage them in that direction. Encourage. One of uh, the things I think we get wrong oftentimes as parents, and I'll be the first to admit this, I think we have a tendency to be more critical than we do encouraging. And honestly, I think you need both. I think a good leader, whether it's parenting or any other area, I think a good leader represents a good amount of healthy, critical, or constructive feedback and healthy encouragement. But when you err on one side or the other, I think it makes you lopsided as a leader. It may make you lopsided as a parent. I think we have a tendency to err on the side of being too critical. Maybe not you, but I could say that's true for me. And so we need to make sure that we're encouraging our kids, especially right now. They are facing so much chaos, so much change, so much uncertainty. It'd be a great time to put that into practice. And the last thing is just play together. Again, if you need a plan, core four, eat, pray, encourage, and play. Last night we got on our back deck, started cooking out, and our kids had this dance party, and it was the highlight of our day, just watching them be fools. And we, you know, got up there and just had some fun with them, and it's a big deal. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And the reason I wanted to put that right there is because if you need it, ask for help. Like when it comes to your family, and if you know, like right now, it's like, oh, Aaron, if you knew my situation, you would know all that other stuff sounds so elementary because what we're dealing with right now, like that's the last thing that we want to worry about. I get it. I do. So if you need it, ask for help. Ask for help. Whether you ask me or our church, we, you know, we connect you to some family counseling, whatever that may be. We know there are times in all of our lives where we just don't feel like we have what it takes to do it on our own and we need some help. Ask for it. Ask for it. Next point I would give you is to calendar. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. Next one is practice sacrificial love. If you're a husband in here, I'm going to get in your face for a second. Some of the strongest language that Paul ever uses when it comes to what he encourages us to be and do as husbands is in Ephesians 5. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Another moment of transparency. Over the course of covid um, Emily and I would tell you, you know, nothing major has happened wrong in our marriage. We've been married over 17 years, but we've just kind of felt disconnected. We've been so wrapped up, like her job has been crazy. This job has been a little bit crazy. And then our kids, you know, school life and all that's been crazy. And so we have felt kind of disconnected, even though we've tried to work on it. And one of the things that I have learned to do, and by no means have I done this flawlessly, even when we don't feel connected, we can still serve each other sacrificially. And I really do believe that when you do that, whether you feel connected to one another right now or not, whether you feel like it, your marriage turned out like you hoped it would, whether he or she is not who you wish they were, however you would feel that gap, I would still encourage you to serve one another sacrificially because that is often the path back to the heart of your spouse. So last week, you know, in a moment where Emily and I just haven't been feeling incredibly connected, I sent her a text, hey, how can I, how can I serve you better today? And I won't tell you the answer. It was incredibly inappropriate, but um, I'm just kidding. We were here. I went here. Let's, get, let's come back, take the high road. 
for the kids in the room, just go back to playing game. <laughs> Practice sacrificial love. Even if you don't want to. Even if you don't think they deserve it. Practice sacrificial love. Next point I would tell you is to calendar your priorities. You've heard me talk about this before. I want to read you a verse. If you've never read this, it's going to catch you off guard. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Like, dang, Paul. Like, really? Which means your family should absolutely be a priority. Providing for them is not just financial. You know this. You provide for your family emotionally, relationally, educationally. There's a lot of ways we provide. So calendar it. Have an intentional process that you're putting in place when it comes to your family. Calendar date nights. Calendar dates with, with your kids. Calendar times where you're going to do a devotion. Whatever that looks like. Calendar it. And then the last point that I want to make is this. Forgive. A lot. Become a pro at forgiveness. You'll need to. When I was writing this, I was convicted because there's not my immediate family, but there's a part of my family where I probably hadn't, had not uh, forgave. And so God had to spend some time with me on this one. But I want to remind you of what Paul says when he writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Don't allow that seed of bitterness. Don't allow those seeds of frustration and even hatred at times to to grow inside of you to the point to where it does create instability. Do your work. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And again, I've given you like 20 points today. I apologize for that. But hopefully something stuck. Hopefully something resonated with you and the Holy Spirit wants to take that and say, and spend some, like, hey, let's do something with this. Let's not just allow this to be like a good idea, but let's actually do something here. And so whatever it is that may be stuck with you today, uh, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to do your work. Don't take it from me. Take it from Jesus. Take it from Jesus when he said, if you want to be able to navigate the storms of your life, if you want to be able to navigate uh, the uncertainty and the ambiguity of your life, then do your work. Make sure you're building your house on the proper foundation. Make sure you've got an intentional process in the things that matter most. Because when you do, your life becomes a little more stable. And if you put the work in now, you get to live with the dividends of stability for the rest of your life. Let me pray for us. Father, I hope that there's something that I've said today that you've said through me that someone in here can hold on to, that there is a teachable moment for each of us. There's an area where we need to have more intentionality. There's an area where we need to stop being so passive 
Father, um, I want everyone in this room to feel more stability for their lives. But I know it's going to take some work. They're going to have to do their work. And so in this next moment where we just spend some time with some thin space with you, God, would you, would you bring some clarity to our uncertainty? pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're new here to Trace, which I know several of you are, met several new people today, we do something every week called a response time. And one of the most important things that we do, I would actually say it is the most important thing that we do each and every week, is we participate in something called the Lord's Supper or communion, where we take a cup uh, that has some juice that represents the spilled blood of Jesus that was spilled out for you on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And we take a little wafer that represents his body that was broken for you on the cross. And we remember that through him and what he accomplished for us on the cross, we do have a path to transformation. We have a path to change. We have a path to stability. And you get this, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. One of the things, it's, I would call it the wild card of life. No matter how much work you put in, there may be people around you that don't. And you have to feel their instability. I get it. And maybe sometimes Jesus wants us to move in the direction of doing our work, not because we're trying to earn any salvation. He's done all of that, accomplished all of that on the cross. But maybe he wants to do our work, not just so we can change our circumstances, but so he can change us. In the process of doing our work and how he refines us into the person that he wants us to be and how our purpose becomes more illuminated. So I'm going to pray for us also, you know, really quick, for those of you that have come prepared to give today, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your faithfulness and continuing to give to the mission of God through Trace Church. It's allowed us to continue to do any, uh, all of the ministries, really, that we had been doing. I don't, can't think of anything we've had to cancel, uh, and a lot of that is because of your faithfulness. So thank you for giving. If you're a guest with us today, no obligation to give whatsoever. It's our gift that you're here today. Uh, but if you've come prepared to give, you can do that in the buckets over on the tables. You can give through our app. It's always the best way uh, to give. But right now, uh, I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to take something that I said. Maybe it's already, maybe it's stuck. It's really clear for you what it is. And that you wouldn't just allow it to sit there, but you do something with it. Again, kids do what feels good. As adults, we devise a plan and we follow through with it. I want you to follow through with it today. Do your work. Do your work. So let me pray for us. And then I'm going to encourage you to respond around the room. There's four, I think six tables actually, with communion elements on them and a place to give. But let's do some work. Father, thank you again for this time and this moment. Father, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that is with us and in us. God beside us. God in us. It's amazing if we really take the time to think about it. And because that is true, you are ready and willing to help us to do our work, to follow through in whatever it is that we felt today, that we heard today, that we know, hey, I need to do something with that. If I don't want to have instability in that area of my life, I'm going to have to do something there. I'm going to have to put in the work. God, would you bring clarity where there might be uncertainty? We pray this in Christ's name. Feel free to respond.